Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Okay, well, could you grab your Bibles? I do encourage you guys to always bring your Bible. Please don't assume uh, what I'm saying is true. I mean, I'm sure you trust me, but uh, it's a beautiful practice to, to, if possible, physically have your Bible with you on your phone and just to really be in the Word of God together. And can I also just say... Uh, did you notice, uh, particularly today, how there's so many voices being sharing? Manette's fantastic word, Hannah's exhortation, Josie's prophecy, uh, Billy's spontaneous encouragement about you know imaginative contemplation and meditation on scripture. You notice that it's very deliberate. We didn't go down a recorded Sunday route because we value community and different voices and, and the spirit speaking through different voices in a planned way and in a spontaneous way. I love it. I don't know if it's just me, but I just feel so excited when I hear people, oh, can I just say, and I, I thought this, I think it, uh, it means that in these strange times, um, we can get as near to community as we possibly can through the internet in that kind of way. So I, I personally am very grateful for it. Okay, so we have been... Um, over these last uh, few weeks now, actually, looking at the book of Ephesians, and we have been asking the, the question that I've been saying every Christian, uh, sorry, well, every person in the world asks, which is, who am I? And we've been making the point that whilst, in a sense, the labels we tend to use in our life um, without the biblical reference tend to lead to either pride or despair, which is exhausting. However, what Paul is doing as he writes this magnificent book to this church in Ephesus, he's going to come on to issues of race and integration, issues of how families operate, spiritual warfare. He starts in a very particular way. He starts by, in effect, saying, before you think about doing anything, just sit down, metaphorically, relax, and enjoy the beautiful wine, as it were, of God's gospel, the intoxicating truth of what happened to you, Christian friend, when you became a Christian, when you were born again. I love it when Jesus is trying to explain that to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is like, uh, pardon, what are you talking about? This is a very strange idea. And it's this, this, this revolutionary metaphor of what happened when you if you're a Christian watching this, when, when you actually became a Christian, the magnitude of what, you, of what happened to you, you have an enemy who will try and, if possible, get you just to see very little of the magnitude of what has happened to you when you became a Christ follower. And uh, I can't remember who said it. I think it was J.I. Packer. He said something like, or maybe it was or Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, someone very clever. They said something like, it is actually the single biggest problem in the, in the Christian life is the lack of awareness of the privilege that you now have as a Christian. That we tend to think of being a Christian as this little thing, oh, I'm forgiven, tick, or whatever it might be. 
And the great problem in the church is this, often this ignorance as to the magnitude of what has happened. The moment that you repented and you gave your life to Jesus and you followed him, even if you didn't feel an awful lot, the Bible is hugely explicit that a cosmically significant change has happened that is irreversible and exquisite and incredible, which means even though you tend to see yourself in a very critical way, God and all of heaven staggeringly now sees you, Minette, Billy, Raymond, Tim, Kelsey, heaven sees you in a very different way. And the great call of the Christian life is to start to see yourself through the lens of heaven, through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of what Jesus has achieved for you. Goodness, I'm already very excited. We finally even began. There is something, you know, as a parent, don't you want this for your kids? There's nothing more upsetting than seeing your children hate themselves and be hard on themselves. Every parent, but just wave if you agree with me. You want to, to see your kids go, yeah, you're not perfect, darling, but you're, a, you're, a, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're an amazing thing. And I want you to, to somehow agree with me as your parent that you are, you are wonderful. Anyway, that's the heart of what we're, what we're, we are letting Jesus do is let us see ourselves. <laughs> Hello, Poppy. I'm just preaching. You're sneaking in. Okay, no worries. She's sneaking in. Um, the, way that <laughs> the way that God sees us. And here we go with our next Jesus label. How does Jesus see us? Tell us, Jesus. You've told us that we're redeemed. You've told us that we're holy, that we're blameless. This is heady stuff. What, what's next? Well, here we go. Verse 11. In him, that's in Jesus, we have obtained, I'm reading from the ESV today, by the way, an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The label today, if you're taking notes, is this, is you and I are not just redeemed and holy and blameless. Every Christian is an inheritor, an inheritor or an heir. He's just said it. We have obtained, verse 11, an inheritance according to the counsel of his will. Let's read on. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, he's talking about the Jews there, the Jewish people he's writing to, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, that's the Jewish Christians he's writing to, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. With the, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, there it is again, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, this is an incredible claim that Paul is making, that every single Christian, when they were born again, became an inheritor, an heir, an heiress. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be an heir? Well, basically it means this, is that you are a big beneficiary because of someone else's death. That's the simplest definition I can think of. You are a big beneficiary because of someone else's death. Now, let me just ask you this question. You can unmute. If you heard, hey, guess what? Some person that you don't even necessarily know very well, they've died, unfortunately. But the big news is you are now set to immediately inherit an incredible inheritance. Okay, without overthinking this, unmute. Give me 
a word that springs to mind, an emotion that you might feel if you had that phone call, which actually did happen to me and Josie a few years ago. Uh, what just you know? What would? How would you feel if you heard you got an inheritance? Nice and quick. Just unmute. Come on, a little bit of community uh, activity here. You can. Yippee! Okay, who was that? Who was that? I couldn't. I mean, you're too quick. Billy. Thank you. Yippee! Yeah. What else? Come on. It, no, it wasn't might, me, but I'd feel stoked. <laughs> I might feel yippee, but unworthy because. I didn't earn it. I didn't oh, well done. Okay, brilliant. So, yippee, unworthy. Let's keep it flowing. This is great. What else? Have a couple more. How would you feel? How did you feel if it's ever happened to you? I was going to say shocked. Shocked. Surprise, shocked, yeah. So very good. Let's have one or two more. Joyful. Grateful. Grateful. Thank you, Nanny V. <laughs> Val, one more. Joyful. Yes, joyful. Absolutely. Now, this is so true. All these things and more. We would feel uh, happy, rejoicing, thrilled. We would feel resourced. And the implications of, those, of that truth would be massive. I mean, if it was a significant amount, you would think, I, my life has changed. This genuine, I might need never to work again. Um, my fear of bankruptcy or, or financial worries are, could significantly change. I might need to get a change where I live. It, the implications are huge as well. So here's the million dollar question. If this is true, even in just a human sense, why is it that so many of us as Christians feel anything but on a normal daily level, yippee, or resourced, or excited. Why is it that, in fact, so many of us, when we look at our lives as, as Christ followers, actually feel really stretched thin, somewhat like pared down, almost quite overstretched? In many ways, we have this incredible truth that, that is true, we have an inheritance, but we actually often feel, um, I think, so far from it. So many, so many of us struggle to, to live in joy. Um, we struggle to be generous. We struggle to not be defensive and protect ourselves. We, we struggle to love those who don't know Jesus or those who are, who are different to us. We struggle to forgive. You know, we, we kind of, we know the theory. We have this incredible thing. But maybe it's just me. I, I actually look at my life and often I think I do not live as if I actually emotionally believe this. And Paul here in this passage, these few verses, I think gives us three keys to enable us to start to live into the good of this incredible Jesus label. Number one, he explains what it is. Number one, this inheritance, what it is. Number two, he explains how we got it. And then number three, he explains why we got it. What it is, how we got it, and why we got it. And I want to humbly submit, it is actually all three of these different, subtle, subtly different questions kind of working together 
that in my life personally have started to actually make this something that makes me feel less and less like a victim, less and less like someone who is insignificant, less and less like someone who's just a faceless part of this world, and a tiny bit more like someone who genuinely is of great value to God, and, and to be honest with you, something of an heir. So the first thing that Paul does is here, and he, he explains to us <clears throat> what it is. He says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Notice here, the first thing to notice about this inheritance is that it's, it's present and it's also future. So in verse 11, he says, we have obtained an inheritance. And then in verse 14, he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So what is this inheritance? Well, the first idea is this. It's something that you have now, Christian, saint, and yet you also will have a full expression of it, a full experience of what you have started already to experience now. It is both. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. Your identity is someone who is an inheritor now and also to come. So in the immediate now, what, what sort of, you know, what is this inheritance? Well, in some ways, obviously, we've already been looking at um, the things that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has, through his death, has secured for you and I. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. It's because Jesus died, because he became a curse, it says in Galatians. What happened to us? He was cursed so that we would be blessed. So Jesus' hard work, okay, us Americans on this call love like hard work. Jesus' sweat, his work has achieved something scandalously that we did not work for. He has worked so that we can receive something. We can, and in this whole passage, it says, it's been saying, you know, we, what, what is this inheritance? We are, we are blessed in the spiritual realms already we are holy we are blameless and um, we have adoption we have forgiveness we have acceptance we have a a christian family that is a total gift of jesus christ we have access to the living god right now this is not something that will just happen one day he's saying right now your inheritance already has completely begun that's why he says here um, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, this is 13, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, this is incredible. Thank you, Billy. Thank, this, is, this is incredible. You see, the Holy Spirit, it says here the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The, the idea here is like a deposit. So I know just some of you have recently actually started to buy a house. I, I won't say who you are. But you, had to put, you have to put down a deposit. Now, a deposit secures, it does two things. It secures the property... So you are secured, but it also is an actual expression of what the person selling the house is going to fully receive. They have whatever it might be, certain amount of the money, but they also receive the full amount of the money. So it's the now and the not yet again. It's that you and I in the spirit of God, we as Christians have received a deposit woo, of the spirit. And that's the beginnings of what you and I are going to forever experience with the resurrected Jesus to the fullest measure. It's, it's not just securing something, it's already the beginnings of the same substance. 
that you and I have already started to taste. So it's, it's both, it's now, but it's also not yet. This is why, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared in advance for you and I. Paul is saying, I can't really explain the future expression of this inheritance. You've got some of it now, but what is coming is absolutely beyond expression. It's beyond expression. That's why Paul says a very provocative thing in Romans chapter 8. He says, I do not compare the present sufferings, even comparable with the glory that is to be revealed. Now, if you think about how pastorally blunt that is, when, you, when you're meeting with someone who's in pain, and Paul is saying, as much as the pain you're going through is tremendous, it's actually not even comparable with the future inheritance that you're going to one day receive. Revelation tells us that we're going to live in a city, a garden city with the resurrected Christ, where, where there won't be even a, a need for a sun or a moon because of the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, I think it is, Paul is a throwaway line talking about our future inheritance. He says, do you know that you're going to be judging angels one day? <laughs> I love that. It's just this slightly random bit of God's little glimmer of your inheritance. I don't even fully understand that. But what I do know is that every time an angel turns up in the Bible, there is one response. Terror. <laughs> like the angels win. The angels throughout the Bible are absolutely awe-inspiring beings, and they're very real. And Paul, as a throwaway line in 1 Corinthians 6, where they get into squabbling about protecting their property and they're suing each other, says, don't you understand your identity? Why are you bothering doing that, clinging onto your roots, when in just a blink of an eye, you're going to be in the, new, in the new world? Oh, and by the way, you're going to be judging angels. I mean, I just find that kind of thing just, it just shifts how I see myself. I am a future judge of angels. I don't understand that, <laughs> and I don't think we have to, but there is something of our future inheritance that Paul is wanting to get at. He's saying there's not going to be any, any more sadness, any more tears, any more famine. The, the, the world that is coming, my dear friends, is absolutely breathtaking. And listen, many on this call are younger, um, and I know that death seems a long way away, but honestly, the reality is it, it, it probably isn't for all of us, even our lives, if we have a long life. And the Bible wants us to be ready that, that in the, it, it, through Jesus, death no longer has a sting. The, the inheritance that is coming is breathtaking, is what I'm trying to say. But here's the real twist that actually gets me even more excited. You see, he's talking about this inheritance that we both have now and this inheritance that we will one day have. And then something remarkable happens. Look with me, just a few verses Further on in verse 18 now, he talks about the inheritance for a third time. But I want you to try and spot what, shit, what happens in Paul's thinking now. See if you can spot it. I'd never spotted it until fairly recently. And then when I saw what actually he's saying, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's just what I've been trying to, in a very feeble way, do in five minutes through Zoom. The hope to which he's called you one day. Listen, uh, to the hope to which he has called you, to which he's, yeah, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
Now, did you spot, you sharp theologians there, did you spot what Paul did? He shifted from talking about our inheritance, the thing that the Christian can get excited about. He shifted the focus in the Greek to God's inheritance. He's still talking about inheritance, but he's now saying here, I want you to have your eyes really opened, okay, sanctuary. I want you to really get it, is what he's saying. And I want you to know about this hope that's coming. And what is this hope? Well, it's the riches, okay, of his, who's the his? Of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you see what he's done there? He's like, yeah, I've been talking about what you're going to get, and that's great. But actually, I want you to get it with your mind and in your heart that God sees his glorious inheritance that he gets is the saints, is his church. That's his inheritance. Let me put it this way. The greatest inheritance a Christian can have, and if you're writing down, write this one thing down, please. The best bit. (laughs) Is a God... The true Christian inheritance is a God who sees you as his inheritance. You see, before that, you can read this and you're kind of thinking, well, there's me here, the, the saint, the Christian, thinking about almost this static body of inheritance that I'm going to get one day. You know, I've got now and I will get, you know, forgiveness and access and the spirit. And then one day I'll live in a, in a new world with Jesus and there'll be no more tears. This is great. And it's almost us thinking about this somewhat static inheritance that, we'll, that we will one day fully receive. And Paul suddenly shifts. He says, no, no, yeah, that's true. But listen, do you know how God sees you? He sees you despite all of your flaws and your failures and your weaknesses and your feebleness and your lack of faith. He still sees you as the riches of his glorious inheritance. That the greatest inheritance a Christian can have is a God who sees him as his inheritance. What he's saying is, is that the God of the Bible is deeply emotionally excited about his inheritance, about his coming people. That's why Jesus says, for the joy set before me, I endured the hell of the cross. It was, I couldn't wait to start to experience my inheritance. And actually, this is not a new idea in Ephesians. All throughout the Old Testament, you see again and again this idea that, you know, Deuteronomy, you read it, there's all this talk about the inheritance that Israel's going to get, the land, and they're going to have blessings, and they're going to have an amazing thing. It's the the inheritance that they're going to experience. And then in Deuteronomy 32, suddenly it shifts. And suddenly God starts talking about his inheritance, which is the people themselves. Now, if you think about this, I find this breathtaking because most of my life, I unconsciously spend myself, you know, basically hating myself in one form or another. It's just beneath the surface of my consciousness. I'm always feeling guilty or ashamed or like I should be doing more or I'm inefficient or I'm just... Pick your choice. And this truth says that the God of the universe, when he looks at Tom Shaw... He says there is the riches. This is, he is part of the riches of my glorious inheritance. Oh my gosh, this is so huge. Is that God is not some hard-hearted, stoic, distant, absent father who is just sort of, 
you know, in a detached manner watching you. He uses this rich language to describe a ragtag bunch in one way, like you and me. Look at us. Look how normal we are <laughs> with human eyes. We're just so normal. And yet God, with no hint of irony, <laughs> describes his church, his people, his family, as the riches of his glorious inheritance. It's almost like, you know, um, how, does, how, does God, how does God see us like that? It just makes no sense to me. But this is, this is honestly true. I had this experience years ago when I took my daughter Daisy to elementary school and uh, it was one of the first times she was there and I dropped her off at the door and said goodbye. It was a little bit, you know, a little bit sad, but emotional, my, my darling daughter. And uh, I walked around the school building and uh, past the fence and I suddenly, to my joy, through the fence, saw her in the playing field with a gaggle of girls chatting away. And I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> Embarrassing dad alert. There, there she was. I was like, Cooey, Daisy, darling. It's daddy over here. Yes, over here. Don't try to ignore me. I'm here. And, um, and Daisy, you know, cool as a cucumber, kind of ambled her way over to me. was like, hey, what's up, dad? How you doing? And I was like, hey, darling, how are you? I've missed you so much. How, how's school going? And she was like, well, it's been going for five minutes, but it's so far, it's going fine. And I'm like, brilliant. And uh, are these your friends? And, you know, I presume you're not being bullied or anything and <laughs> all, all okay. And she was just, you know, Daisy's very cool. So she was far cooler than I ever was. And she was just, you know, polite, but sort of like, yeah, anyway, see you, Dad, got to go now, buy things to do. And off she went. And I just said to her, darling, I can't wait till three o'clock. Can't wait till three o'clock when I pick you up. Love you so much, honey. And off I went, and I just thought to myself, what a gift, what a gift, Jesus, that you just let me just see through the fence, my daughter, you know, in her own little world with her friends. And it suddenly dawned on me, if I, who am so broken and so in some ways selfish, if I have that level of emotion over my daughter, when I look through the fence and I see her, both immediately and then I anticipate the coming of three o'clock, the end of the school day when I get to see her again and I get to, to hug her and to smell her hair and to, to, just to hear about how she's getting on the school. It's, I felt God say, Tom, guess what? I can't wait till three o'clock. I can't wait till the day when actually humanly you stop, your heart stops and you stop living on this earth and you come and you are finally mine. Friends, listen to me. You need to taste and see that our Abba is good. Taste and see and dare to believe. No matter how great your parents were, he is unlike any other. And he is, he is incredibly excited about that day. Um, I must move on. I've realized how long I've taken over my first point. But it's just so profound when you start to realize I am his inheritance. Your identity, my friend, is not primarily as a teacher, as a parent, as a mother, as a husband. Your identity, I am his, I am his inheritance. Your sense of self is that you are of unimaginable value. And your father is yearning for three o'clock when finally he gets to see you. Secondarily, though, we must ask the question that Paul asked, well, how do we get it? How do we get it? And this is actually a lot about um, what's explained in, this, in these verses as well. 
It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. How do we get it? Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So this is important. Paul is not just saying you are an, you are an heir, an heiress, an inheritor, and the number one thing you actually inherit more than forgiveness and everything is a God who sees you as his inheritance, a God who's very, very excited about you. The second thing, though, is we need to understand for this truth to sink in is how we've obtained it. How? And Paul here, he explains it. He says, in essence, you've got this. You've got this through my work, my plans, and my will. And that's very important because, you see, in anything else in life, really, we tend to think of as something that we have achieved through our hard work. And I know I'm touching a deep, a deep value in the US and in the UK, which is we work hard, you can make your own destiny if you just work hard enough. And I'm not saying that that's entirely wrong, but I am saying here, Paul is very, very clear that the only reason that you are able to say, my father now sees me, doesn't see me as I see myself. He sees me as his glorious inheritance. The way that that's happened is through the hard work of Jesus Christ. It's through his planning and his genius and his perfect life and his perfect death and his perfect resurrection that has been placed into my bank account. His death, as awful as it was, was also stunningly glorious because it's achieved something for me. Let me put it this way. Surrendering attempt to control your own life, as my uh, great spiritual director, Jim Colfield, recently said, is perhaps the number one journey as you get older. Learning to truly surrender attempts to control your life. I mean, that's how the whole gospel begins, right? That's what repentance is. It's saying, Lord, I can't do this myself. I have to let go and, and trust you. And he's saying here, that knowing the way that you have received this is as important as it is the actual thing itself. Are you someone who is in touch in your heart with the fact that it was because of his will and his purpose that you are where you are today? What does that even mean for you? I might ask you that question. You might write that down and ponder that. What does it practically mean for Tom Shaw that it's not just that I am an inheritor of a God who sees me as his inheritance. But that, the way that I received that was entirely because of his planning and his energy and his protection. So it says in 1 Peter, it says that you have received an inheritance that is unperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being guarded you see, Peter, as well as he's agreeing with Paul, saying, oh, this is all God. <laughs> this is all God. I mean, I'm not going to get into the theological labels. What I'm saying is, is it's, pretty, it's pretty clear that this is only the work of God that you and I can, with any straight face, say, well, I know that I'm nothing to look at physically and my intellect is very average, and my athletic abilities are non-existent, and I'm not practical, and I'm grumpy, and I get stressed, and I'm, I'm etc. Oh, but my truest label 
is that I am described by God as the riches of his glorious inheritance. That's actually who he sees me. That's how he sees me. The only way that, that I can say that, and this is huge for us, friends, is because of his kindness. It's very, very important we realize that it's because of his kindness. So many people stumble with Christianity because the flavor they get around Christians is pride. It's true. It, I, I mean, so many of my friends who would say, I don't believe in Christ and Jesus. And it's because I've met Christians and they just feel kind of judgmental. They just kind of feel a bit moral. They feel a bit smug. And Paul's saying here, friends, the only reason any human can ever get born again, the only way any of us can become receivers of this glorious new identity, the only way it can happen is a supernatural work of God who breaks into a dead heart and makes it alive. Josie's going to preach in a couple of weeks on our next identity, and I won't steal her thunder, but it's, it's that we have been made alive. And it's so profound because it speaks about the fact that a dead body can't actually raise itself. <laughs> and this is glorious because the more as you get older, you go, wait a minute, the whole of this whole thing has been begun by God. He's sustaining it now. And friends, he will, he will keep us surely safe and secure until the day that we finally meet him face to face. Oh, friends, let me put it this way. If anxiety is something you struggle with, it is almost certainly connected to the root of control. I promise you, it is nearly all anxiety. I'm not talking about depression or fear or anger. I'm talking about anxiety. If anxiety creeps into your being like it does in mine, friends, every time, I know it's, it's to do with control. And we take our hands off and we say, God, the only way that this has happened is according to the counsel of your will. You have achieved this. You have done this. And it says in Colossians, he holds all things together. He's holding it together, <laughs> not you. Oh, this is glorious. This is so, such good news. But it also, it speaks to us about the fact, and can I say this? It was his plan, but it was also his pain. You see, when we talk about God seeing you as his inheritance, and I get rather excited, and, you know, I jump around through Zoom. That's very exciting, but it's also you realize that there's a, when you think about the, the idea of an inheritance, I think Minette was mentioned, it was, it was hinting at this. In the natural realm, when you hear that you've got an inheritance, there's a real bittersweet element to it, right? Because someone's died. It's not like you've won the lottery. That's, that's a very different metaphor. Someone's died. Jesus has died. He died. And it's, it's spoken earlier in this passage about we have redemption how? Through his blood. Now, friends, I know that we hear this often, but my prayer is that just that a slight, fresh wind of his spirit will just highlight even now. Listen, you see, for us to have relationship with anyone, we need to feel safe around them. And if when you hear that God sees you as his inheritance, you, f you get this caricature of almost like this overwhelming, um, bionic God who is just like, like, slightly having too many Red Bulls and it's just kind of like overwhelming. And there you are feeling actually in a bit of pain in your life. And you're like, he sees me as an inheritance. Great. But that doesn't even feel that real. What I love about this idea of us being um, his inheritance is that it speaks about 
a kind of side of God where he is sorrowful yet rejoicing, as Paul says. And that's helpful because actually pain is, everyone on this call will have some level of pain. And actually, when you know that God himself, he wants you to experience, he, he wants you to know the full riches of this, but he's not going to force himself on you. It's not his style. If you look at Jesus in the Gospels, he says, come to me. Come to me. I stand at the door. I don't push it open. I knock. So what I'm saying is, is when you think about I'm in his inheritance, this second, this second element of how you received it, it was, it was his plan, but it was also his, his pain, that it's important that we realize, wow, somehow Jesus, that makes me feel a little safer around you. I see you as someone who's acquainted with sorrow. Sorrow softens us. If you go through pain in life, the design of it is to, so- to, is to soften you, to make you feel more safe for people to be around. If you've never failed or haven't got any pain, many people around you won't feel very safe. And we can often think that about Jesus, is that he was like bionic man. He's always positive, you know? And it's like kind of great, but how do I have a relationship with that kind of person? You know, he just loves me. Overwhelming love. Oh, great. <laughs> but in a, even in a normal relationship, when the other person shares a weakness or a vulnerability, or some sorrow. Isn't it true that you always feel slightly closer? You think, oh, I can, I can kind of move towards you a little bit now. I feel like you're letting me in. And I think there's a hint of that in this particular identity label that's so beautiful, that Jesus, it was really costly for him. And that's not to make you feel guilty or anything at all, but it is to make you, to, to say, like, he wants you to lean in, to lean in, to to know that he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And this label, it does speak about that. It makes us go, wow, Jesus, you're not just an enthusiast, an Enneagram 7, who's always positive. There is a sort of, um, there's a side to you that is grieving, and that helps me connect in. So the way that Jesus, the way that we receive this label is important as well as what it is. And finally, the why. Why do we receive it? And see here again, he talks about this as well. He says in verse 12, he gives us the why, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, this is a, a favorite Pauline expression. He says it repeatedly, repeatedly, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. So let me ask you this question. Is anyone here a worship leader? Just signal with your hand. Anyone here? A worship leader. Okay, Victor, I think. Oh, no, is that, who was that? Was that? Oh, that was Jared, I think. Actually, no, George, yeah. Um, actually, trick question, biblically, you all are. You all are. If we see a worship leader is someone whose calling is to inspire praise and joy and appreciation and focus on God, of ourselves and on God, which is surely the great definition of a worship leader. That is what Paul is saying. He is saying this all happens ultimately for the, to the praise of his glory. Your, your Christian faith is not meant to be some private individual thing that you just keep buried between you and Jesus. He's saying, no, 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 no. Paul's saying, oh, the great call corporately as a family 
and individually as Christians to, is to be those people who are to the praise of his glory, that there's like a volcano of praise through words, through our lips and through our lives that demonstrates a, a deep and abiding joy and focus on God throughout our lives. And that's why for Paul, you see, actually, the more that we understand how much God loves us and how he sees us, it is actually an inevitable consequence that you and I become more and more those who quite naturally want to speak to the world about Jesus. If you are someone who um, finds it hard to worship leaders, as it were, to point to Jesus, I don't mean just musically, I'm talking about in the bigger sense in your whole life. If like me at times you think, I, I don't know if I want to share about Jesus in San Francisco or, or even be public about that. I promise you the key is nearly always actually to do with our identity. If we have not understood the magnitude of how great God's love for us is, of how huge now our identity change is, we, will, we won't understand the privilege, we won't understand the significance of it. And so we often won't really want to tell many people about it. It won't be something that's actually exciting. There won't be much joy. There won't be much that we want to tell people about. It's just logic. If you don't feel like you've got a lot, you don't really want to tell other people about it. But if you're like, oh my gosh, it, you know, the penny is dropped. I've always known this truth in my head. Yeah, I'm an, I, I'm an inheritor. And the biggest inheritance is, is that I actually have, now have a God who sees me as his inheritance. When that gets into your being, oh friends, do you know, leaking the love of God to the world around you. It, it isn't something you have to try. And it isn't just for those who are evangelists. It becomes part of who we are. That's why, you know, you, you can't really be a people who say that you love God without loving people, truly. That is why it's their two are tied together again and again and again. And so friends, as we come to the end of this, my question would be, have you tasted and seen that you are indeed the apple of Jesus's eye? I'm looking at your faces and I can't, I can't tell what's going on in your hearts and that's fine. Only Jesus can. But this, this has to be a work of the spirit. The word and the spirit come together to actually create in us faith and trust that this is truly how God sees us. And inevitably, and with this I'll finish, inevitably um, we're very, very good at thinking and in a sense, believing 101 other alternative views of ourselves, other than we are God's glorious inheritance. So there's a battle, is what I'm saying. There is a, a good fight, the good fight of faith, is what Paul says. There is a sense in which if you're saying, and, and we can close it, in fact, I want to pray for you. If you feel like here, you're someone, and you say, do you know what, Tom, I get it in my head, but somehow I, I don't, it hasn't really percolated yet or permeated sort of into my heart. It really, I still don't, I still don't really believe that God's peering through the fence metaphorically and is excited about me. If you would say, yeah, that I don't know if that's really got into my heart. Before we, we sing our a final song of worship, I would love to pray for those of us, particularly in that camp. And we're only, you know, a small family, so we can be vulnerable. If that's you, can you just signal, just raise your hand and say, I would love for prayer for this to just go from my head 
into my heart. And I would just love to pray for those of us who feel, yeah, I don't feel God's treasured possession. I just don't. I just feel like in many ways I'm not. I just don't, I don't experience that. Jesus, I want to just pray for every man, woman, and child here today who, uh, yeah, just hasn't experienced the rest that comes from knowing that this label, this truth, this identity is so much more significant and weighty and irreversible than any other label we might try and fight for, whatever that might be, any non-Jesus label that we want to make primary, whatever that might be, the successful one or the caring one, the generous one or the wise one, oh, even now, Spirit of God, by the power of the Spirit, I just literally, I can almost see some of you like wearing like old clothes, metaphorically, and, and before you can almost be robed, he just, he's just inviting you just to lay those off. And for some of you now, just like there may be a sense of, yeah, I just... Jesus, help me to just take off that less than Jesus label, that way of seeing myself that is not in agreement with you. And I just want to invite you, okay? This sounds funny, but most of us are talking to ourselves in our heads all day long. Most of it's negative, as I've already said. One way you can practically start to live into the good of this is by actually saying to yourself, the truth of God over yourself. So even now, you might just want to whisper, Jesus, I am your glorious inheritance. You say that, that I am your glorious inheritance. You're not bitterly disappointed. You know, when you went to visit the lawyer and the lawyer was like, yeah, well, here's the news. Such and such has died and just lower those expectations. Now you weren't, you weren't gutted when you saw the people on this on this Skype call. You were, you're so, so rejoicing over our lives. Despite all of the sin that's real, your love is stronger. And I just pray, just press and massage into our beings a little bit more. You are a God. You are Abba. You are Abba. And you're for us. You're not against us. I pray let striving, let like stress and drivenness just melt away. And I just pray for the lights to go on in our hearts, our high ours of our hearts to be enlightened, that we would know how you see us and what is the hope to which we have been called. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.